first, her father slain, next your son gone, and he most violent author of his own just remove. The people muddied, thick, and unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers for good Polonius' death, and we have done but greenly in hugger-mugger to inter him. Poor Ophelia, divided from herself and her fair judgment, without the which we are pictures, or mere beasts. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 3, We Are Pictures or Mere Beasts. Eleanor announces she will arrange her own show for Fashion Week to compete with Helena's long-standing annual event, causing the two to become openly combative. Eleanor's show ultimately receives rave reviews, but to Eleanor's dismay, Helena implies she arranged the reviews in the interest of the family's image. Meanwhile, Ophelia is enlisted by Eleanor to uncover information on Jasper's mysterious past due to her access to her father's employment records, while also embarking on a flirtatious relationship with Nick, a fellow student. Liam, still attempting to get over Ophelia, returns to his sexually promiscuous lifestyle, which culminates in him fleeing the scene of an accident caused by Gemma. Simon reconsiders abolishing the monarchy and continues grooming Liam for leadership. What to say about this one? It's heavy on the silliness and light <laughs> on the plot. None of this matters. If you're going to miss an episode, I'd say, well, I, I don't know if I would say this one, but if you're in it for the plot, I'd say skip this one. This episode is a really good example of the royals being like a fun show because it's mostly hijinks, which I'm perfectly okay with. The past few episodes, you know, you and I have been kind of struggling to just get through exposition, uh, talk about everything that happens. And it's kind of nice to have a break from just learning who everybody is and learning what's going on so we can hang out with these characters and hang out with them we do. Yeah, I think the, say, the stage is sufficiently set now that they could just have a couple episodes where people just fuck around, pretty much. Yeah! Uh, before they get back into major <laughs> plot developments in about three or four episodes. Speaking of fucking around, this being the Royals, naturally the episode opens with a sex scene. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't. It, it opens doesn't? with Cyrus doing a bunch of coke while uh, How Low plays or something. I'm and then he okay with that. And then he decides to kill the king. All of a sudden, with a sword. Right. How could I forget? Now it's all coming back to me. I get distracted by the food I'm eating sometimes. That's I watched the God's this, truth. Very, this very evening, so it's pretty fresh in oh my boy. mind. Oh, boy. All right. A very on-the-nose song. I think I looked it up. It's How Low by Against Me, which is about, I guess, a drug bender. So there you go. Uh, opens with a very strung-out Cyrus, who just decides at that moment that he's going to take a big-ass, like, shimitar and kill the king, who is in the next room. The king informs him he is considering not disbanding the monarchy, and he alters his plan. 
So that's the cold open. That's classic Cyrus. He is as fickle as can be. Just alone in his room in the middle of the day. That's how you know you have a problem. But then the sex scene does occur. We see what we think to be Liam and Ophelia having sex in a very well-lit room. Yeah. But of course, they broke up or they stopped hanging out last episode. So I thought it was a flashback and he was just like remembering stuff from the spank bank but apparently he's actually having sex with a quote-unquote supermodel right while thinking of ophelia correct a girl whose name i believe is tiara because she shows up later in the episode pretty on the nose minor character naming there mm, i must have missed that i did not catch how absurdly uh, Gemma they named this character it. because first oh, she's like oh, oh it's the one where she's where, where Ophelia's like she's standing next to that beautiful woman and she's like oh they have sex I didn't yeah. realize that was the same person I think it was I could be wrong but either way we're sort of seeing Liam's you know playboy world I think we're meant to think he's kind of going back to the way things were before he started seeing Ophelia and notice that mm-hmm. I've been avoiding the word dating since the difference between dating and hanging out really uh, comes into play later on. Yeah, I, the woman notices that he is clearly thinking about somebody else somehow, I guess. I mean, I don't know how she's supposed to know that, but I don't know either. But she, I guess she has some kind of sixth sense. <laughs> when you know, you know, I guess. You do. I didn't hear him audibly say her name, so. Speaking of people who are having sex with each other who probably shouldn't be. Well, definitely, I would say. Eleanor is looking up info on Jasper. He's really going back and forth on these elaborate backstories that he has, where, you know, he's from Shortish. He's got like six origin stories. He's from an orphanage in Canada. Camden. No, he's from uh, yeah. Las Vegas and like telling these... It's like a whole Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight kind of thing where he just has four or five different ways that he could have places he could have come from. He looks British, doesn't he? That was my guess. My guess was that he was British. So British people are better at doing American accents than vice versa, generally speaking. That's true. And I love them for it. I didn't know Idris Elba was British for like the first five years I was aware of his presence (laughs) on this earth. Because you were watching him on The Wire? And I could. I had no idea. Eleanor is getting Ophelia to use her, you know, her access to her father Ted's There's a British reference, Father Ted, to her Father Ted's employee records to try and figure out some stuff about Jasper. But Jasper knows what she's doing, and he doesn't really seem concerned by it. Jasper knows everything, because he is a superhuman person. (laughs) Like, he can vanish. He knocks people out really well, again in this episode, for the second time. He knocks somebody out immediately with great skill. He knows what's going on around him at all times. He is by far the most talented person on this show. That is probably true. The big hook of this week's episode is Fashion Week. Right, um, yeah. Every city has one. Obviously, mm-hmm. London Fashion Week is a big deal since it's one of like the major European capitals of fashion. That's about where the truth-telling of this episode stops because this episode either doesn't understand or willfully misunderstands literally everything about the world of high fashion they drop a few designer names in there you know they say alexander mcqueen because that has that name value cachet but so helena is throwing this fashion show at the palace yes did she design the clothes herself is she sponsoring a bunch of different designers did she commission a collection we don't know 
because like I was saying, this episode has no understanding of how putting together a fashion show works. I would be genuinely shocked if these characters had the skill or time or ability to design these clothes themselves. Yeah, and I didn't think we're meant to think that they are. It's just weird because they like, it's very strange. There's like nothing to the process of it except picking a venue. I think Helena already devotes like 65% of her time to villainous machinations. So I don't think she has time to design various garments for fashion week. Yeah, and she is in fine form on in this episode. There's a couple of fun little details in this scene. It's always nice when we get the whole family together to yeah. um, have like a, one of the few group scenes. It doesn't really happen as often as you would think, but we kind of see everyone run in and out of this great room where we see them gather, mm-hmm. notably Penelope and Maribel wearing outfits that defy description. Penelope and Maribel, and God knows, I still not for the life of me could tell you which is which. It doesn't matter. It, fully it doesn't does matter. Not They're matter. pretty interchangeable. Anyway, they come in. One of them is wearing like this leopard jumpsuit and like other cat paraphernalia. It's kind of like a Halloween costume almost. It's like a sexy tiger Halloween costume with like a cat backpack maybe. But also like a little bit like pajamas and then the backpack is very like Japanese child. Right. And then the other one is wearing like a rejected Kesha concert outfit. It's like this American flag sequin leotard with long fringe hanging off the arms and she's got like a side cornrows on part of her head. And the cornrows, not so much. The 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 top itself is something like a really gaudy female country singer from maybe 20 years ago would wear or something. It's just absurd. It's an American flag that's just glitter. I will say the part of this that rings true is like just like how here wearing the Union Jack is a pretty popular like fashion statement or we wear other things like that say like Paris or something like that. Um, when I was mm-hmm. in England, I would see clothes that had like the American flag on them for a fashion statement. But I also did like how she said that she was being ironic by wearing it. Um, I thought that was that was kind of a fun moment. Basically, Whoa. this big family moment is kind of showing it's going to be Helena versus Eleanor squaring off. Um, they've just been, it's been like a series of little barbs back and forth between the two of them, and they never get along under the best of circumstances, culminating in Eleanor um, leaking to a tabloid that the queen had spent something like 1,500 pounds on lingerie. I think it was 50,000, I want to say. Well, it's a lot of money is the point. I didn't write down exactly how many pounds it was, but a staggering amount of money. So, you know, Helena always has her servants with her and they're going over outfit options for her to wear. And Eleanor calls Bagsy on the color purple, which is something... Uh, Is that like a Britishism or is it just that I've never said it? I don't know if it's a proper like British equivalent that really exists it, or it not. is um, I looked that up they it is it does exist yeah. well they they very helpfully even though it's pretty clear what Bagsy is from the context of the scene they still feel they need to explain it like a scene later when Jasper I guess in character is like I don't know what Bagsy is because I'm from Nevada or I'm shit. from America partner yeah exactly so that's real I looked it up I just couldn't tell from the super legit urban dictionary definitions that I was reading, whether it was strictly a British thing or not. Where I'm from, we always said dibs, or we just say, oh, I called it. I think in America, it's generally one of those two. 
Ophelia is kind of the next person I think we need to get to. She's... (laughs) There are so many lines in this scene that I want to talk about, even though Ophelia is never necessarily our favorite character. Um, Ophelia is trying to leave school, and there's like a mob of paparazzi out there. So her classmate, um, who's this young guy named Nick, Mm -hmm. blandly handsome, offers to help her out, like help her avoid the paparazzi. She has this line, I forget exactly what the context is, but she's like expressing that she doesn't want to go with him because she doesn't trust him and he might be a stalker. And he says, you're the one being chased by overweight men with cameras. And I was like, why is there a weight a part of it, dude? <laughs> but this There's show of, hates fat people. The show hates fat people. Oh, it does. It's and and elderly people. They they specifically mention after the revelation about the very expensive lingerie Eleanor's barb is that they photoshopped Elizabeth Hurley's head onto a younger woman's body. So they're also not super crazy about older people. Yeah, but I just thought that that word like weirdly stuck out like yeah, you're being chased by men with cameras. Why does it matter whether they're thin or fat? But whatever. So this guy helps her escape on his Vespa. And she doesn't want him to see where she lives. So he, she has him take her back to just like a nearby cheese shop. And I was right. like, go into the cheese shop. Buy yourself some cheese. That's the only way to salvage this day. So right. this guy, <laughs> can I, I got to say this line. Sure. Doesn't know who Ophelia is or why she's being chased with cameras because, quote, I pretty much just hang out in my loft, avoiding social media. Which is not technically an activity, by the way. That is a thing Fucking you do cool pass- passively. But he is virulently against anything that has been created in the past roughly 20 years this guy has adamantly avoided. Later, he talks <laughs> about how he just discovered texting, which it, this episode came out in 2014. Like, at this point, a person who does not text is actively annoying to me. I had a friend who didn't text. Uh, like, he just started texting about six months ago. So, and before we... that, he would always call. And it's actively annoying. Why was he not texting? Was he, like, taking a stand? He was kind of like this guy. <laughs> he took, like, two years where he just didn't have a computer. What bothers me about this guy, Nick, is that he... And not just he acts like this, but the show is acts like we're supposed to think that him not using technology is, like, a very desirable and attractive trait in a man. And, like, no, no girl wants some guy who's, like, posting selfies to Instagram to times a day but at the same time someone eschewing technology isn't like oh so attractive i feel like especially the target audience for this show who probably have very active social media games i would imagine i would think so not be that into it yeah i can't believe i forgot to mention eleanor texts back fml to ophelia at the end of their conversation in the first scene oh she does yeah we should make it a drinking game every time they say fml take a drink and then either you'll remember (sighs) because you took the drink or you'll get so drunk that you can just forget everything which might be the better option in the long run I feel like FML would have to be like, finish your drink (laughs) on the Royals drinking game, probably. In regards to this guy that Ophelia dates, that is his only character trait, by the way. There is nothing else to say about this person. No. He might as... He is the most non-character of the entire run of this show, I believe. He is a nothing. Yeah, he's pointless. (laughs) She thinks he's a stalker and he doesn't use social media. As usual, we have King Simon just being the epitome of decency he's really frustrated by the excess in the palace he's probably the character who's the most like 
outspoken against Fashion Week, which is, you know, interesting just because we don't see King Simon necessarily get riled up a lot. And he seems to really take issue with like the superficiality and the excess. But it's like if Queen Helena is your wife and Cyrus is your brother, Fashion Week is like barely a day out of the ordinary. It's a little miffed because I guess there was a little joke that he got screwed out of wearing Alexander McQueen and Cyrus got it instead, which he was upset about. But I feel like he has to wear his, like, royal garb. Like, all that mess with all the medals and shit. (laughs) There's a word for it, but I prefer medals and shit, actually. Uh, So he's, they're meeting with some diplomats, but then later in the day, they're going to meet with some, because this episode all takes place over the course of, like, 24 fucking hours. Two fashion shows get put up in 24 hours. Whatever. To be fair, one of them had been planned for a while, I guess. That's true. They only changed the venue and, like, everything about it, but whatever. That's true. (laughs) Um, So, but King Simon being King Simon... Um, I wish he would run for president of the United States because he's like, well, we're going to meet with the anti-monarchists because we need to see both sides of the story. And Liam's like, okay, I'm going to be a pouty little boy for the rest of the episode. I'm grouchy because the girl I want to sleep with doesn't want to sleep with me anymore. That's pretty much his whole uh, arc in this episode is like just pouting. I mean, I've been there. I'm not totally dissing him. Let's be honest. He, he's not the focal point of this one. There's not much for him to do. Uh, there's one scene. No. But besides that. And since Liam is our Hamlet, for want of, you know, a better comparison, just pouting and doing nothing but complaining about how and unhappy yeah, you are. Accurate. That's pretty much yeah. in keeping no, with Hamlet, so that's very yeah. accurate. The most exciting part about this diplomat meeting, because it really doesn't contribute to any sort of the political machinations of the plot, I don't think you ever see these people again. Ah, but there is something we do see again. Chekhov's bow and arrow. Oh, well, that's actually where they meet a character they describe as the Dragon King of Maravaya or something. It's a country sure. that doesn't exist. It's a vaguely, I think it's supposed to be vaguely African sounding country that just does not exist. It's like Genovia from the Princess Diaries. Yes, I'm going to confess that I don't know my Genovia uh, geography super well. We have this oy, this really weird scene with Helena. They s- can't seem to write for this character in a way that makes her sound like a human being. I don't know. I think Elizabeth Hurley's performance also contributes a little bit to that. Sometimes her scenes get so weird in a way where like even if you were trying to mess with someone's head, you're going about it in the weirdest way. Like she calls Jasper in and basically starts having him do a ton of tongue twisters. She can't place the precise origins of his accent. Uh, she has like super accent ability, like that one scene in Inglorious Bastards where that one character can tell what part of Germany Michael Fassbender's supposed to be from. You know I don't like movies with lots of blood. Her, her super accent sense tells her that there is something wrong with Jasper, which is a running theme that isn't explored too deeply in this episode, but does go on a little later. But of course, this being the royal sense, every scene has to either have like like a sexually explicit quip or some sort of like overarching idea about the plot. She goes, we all have our secrets, bodyguard. Sometimes our secrets keep us. And it's like, yeah, you all have secrets. Cool. We get it. The lines like that in the show are so frequent. I really feel like it's every scene either has some sort of like pithy quip from a character like Cyrus or Eleanor or Gemma Or you have, like, King Simon, Queen Helena, or Ophelia being like, but what about the human condition? (laughs) (laughs) Of note, 
Helena calls Jasper bodyguard like Eleanor does. I wonder if that's just a common trait for these random folks who traipse in and out of their lives pretty regularly, I would imagine. It doesn't seem like Eleanor, or even to a lesser degree, Eleanor is the kind of person who would bother to learn names. In Eleanor's case, it makes sense for her to learn this guy's name, yeah. but otherwise... I don't know. I don't know that they... I've seen them do it with any other bodyguard characters. I mean, I think... Eleanor uses it in, like, a flirtatious way a lot, like, as a come on to him. So I just noticed that in this scene because uh, there's going to be some stuff between Helena and Jasper later on. And I thought some stuff in this scene uh, was planting the seeds for that. I think a lot of this episode was kind of about how Eleanor and Helena are both very similar in some ways, like extremely competitive, very charming and clever, and then how they're different in some ways because Helena can just be so vicious in a way that I don't know that we ever really see Eleanor be. Eleanor's thesis in this episode is that Eleanor is best when she is in opposition to somebody. And Did that you just say Eleanor? Maybe. Oh, wow. Am I <laughs> writing said Eleanor's new... thesis instead of Helena's thesis. I thought you were making like a <laughs> couple's name for them. And I was yeah, like... Yeah, absolutely. Sure. That's, <laughs> that's got to exist somewhere on the internet. I don't know. Nick, the non-entity character... The person who I, I feel like his name should just be a mouth sound instead of a proper name because there's so little to him. Well, it's one syllable, um, so. Yeah. He tries to get Ophelia away from the paparazzi by pushing her out in a bag, a, a cart full of dirty laundry, like a prison film from like the 1930s, <laughs> and is terrible at it. They fall over immediately. He has no regard for her body. But they're like, ha ha ha, it's all in good fun. They're acting like it's the funnest thing in the world. They also have a running joke about a Groucho Marx mask that is boring. <laughs> Nothing comes of it. They have, they have dull flirting with a Groucho Marx mask. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We can ignore anything relating to Nick. <laughs> well, I did want to touch on him a little bit because of something that comes up in this episode, which I feel like is such a m- millennial struggle, where he mm-hmm. says that he Googled her. He's like, have you ever tried Googling something before? Ah, ha, ha, ha. I know nothing <laughs> about the internet. Doesn't that turn you on? She's like, okay. Uh, well, you should know about Google just from like, you know, anything about major businesses of the world. He's in Google's school. Google's a pretty big deal. How is he writing papers without a search engine? So he knows that she's been, as he says, dating Liam, and she's like, like, we're not dating, we're just hanging out, and we're not really hanging out anymore. And so when he drops her off at the palace, and, like, now he knows where she lives, and she tells him, like, oh, my dad is head of security and stuff, he's like, I'd ask you out, but I'm not really into hanging out. I want to be dating. And it's like, oh, what an old school gentleman. He doesn't want to hang out. He wants to date. Well, golly gee, bowl me over with a feather. Uh, so yeah, this, that's all there is to say about Nick. No one, I'm, let's no not talk about him, about him anymore. <laughs> We're done. We just jammed our way through that plot line. There's a quick scene that's very bizarre. I am not mistaken that the twins, the goofy twins, Penelope and Maribel or whatever, they are Cyrus's own daughters, right? Yes, they are his blood children, as far as we know. They are, um, getting groomed for Fashion Week in a certain scene. Zach doesn't want to say it, so I will. They're having their buttholes waxed. Yeah. Specifically that, the show makes that very Bleached, clear. Bleached, waxed, who knows? Yeah, all that 
good stuff. They're like both like bent over on these right. tables so that the estheticians can, you know, <laughs> get Have to access. what they need to get yeah. to. Uh-huh. And Cyrus. Cyrus comes in to the room <laughs> and, I don't know, makes fun of them a little bit because what else is he going to do? And then he takes a picture of their of them hunched over being from worked behind. on from behind. So one assumes, starts, you know, you starts pretending see. he's writing a letter to some kind of tabloid. The tab, the go-to tabloid, or I don't know if it's supposed to be a tabloid or like a news show is a uh, dethroned, which is a made-up tabloid for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so yet again, we have quasi-sexual blackmail in an episode. An episode has not passed without sexual blackmail of some kind. Like, he's he's not really... Like, he does it for a joke, but there is also a picture sound, so I'm pretty sure he really took he the really picture... He really took the picture! Of Ew! his own... His dad. own daughters. It's again. so fucked what? up. It's a scene that's this played is... for complete comedic effect, oh, but it's totally. like it's like the joke last week when Eleanor made a joke about Cyrus molesting her. It's like we've seen him be genuinely creepy too many times for All this time. stuff to come 95% off. Five percent of his scenes, <laughs> yeah. So like he's not a character where you can make these lighthearted things. Like if Simon had walked in and accidentally seen him and been like, "Oh, whoa, my eyes! Oh, they're bleeding! I want to stab him!" That would have been one thing. That would have yeah. been like, oh. Yeah. Golly gee, like he was so flustered he walked into a door. Gross. But uh Cyrus like takes a he goes, look. He goes he for it. He sees everything. And not only does he see everything, we find out that he partakes in the services of the good women who are waxing his daughter's beeholes because according to his sex scene with Holloway, which comes up just a couple scenes later, he yeah, he got it done too. So the family that grooms together rules together. But to be fair, Cyrus takes play takes part in the services of pretty much anybody he can. It's all free, I guess. There's that. And also Unlike his daughters, Cyrus is extremely sexually active. So, right. yeah, we just see him in Holloway, which is the guy who he's sexu- sexually blackmailing from last episode, doing coke. Right. And, like, they've obviously been in bed together. And it's just funny to me that yet another relationship that started out as sexual blackmail has become, like, a fun, flirtatious sexual relationship. <laughs> It's a trend. It happens so often. It's so much. It's treated with so much more levity than the order of like who the heir to the throne is, which realistically doesn't matter at all because it's just a title. But all of this really horrific stuff, just so light, so much levity. Yeah, it's really confusing because there are some scenes in the show that are just like so fucking serious like at the end of the episode the sad songs playing and the montages it can get soap opera level sometimes it's ridiculous yeah but then the things that like actually affect the characters lives it's very it's very strange anyway uh speaking of penelope and maribel though they actually have been given a small amount of responsibility in this episode, which is a thing that so rarely happens. Because, you know, if Eleanor is a spare and Cyrus is, an, is a spare, then Penelope and Maribel are extremely much, spare. Yeah, double. Super, yeah. But they love Eleanor. Um, they're kind of like, you know, 
they're uh, they really look up to her in a way i think and she gets them to find a location for her fashion show they find this like old tunnel it might be supposed to be an abandoned subway tunnel because or not subway underground tunnel because there are quite a few of those in London, is sense. my understanding. Yeah. But it's cool. It's definitely like an avant-garde space. It's, you know, all brick. But who should sweep in but Helena? And she's like, you bagsied wearing the color purple? Well, I'm bagsying your location. This is mine now. Si- uh, Simon vocally disagrees with his wife. It sounds too much like Banksy to me, by the way, Banksy. Yeah, Every time yeah. somebody says it. I'm getting used to saying it. But Simon is like, you need to be nicer to our daughter please and helena says that eleanor does best when she feels like the whole world is against her she needs an adversary and simon says she needs a mother more on the one hand i think helena's a little bit right that eleanor in some ways does do the best when she feels like she has someone she has to like rage against but on the other hand helena takes it way too far and eleanor has major abandonment issues and it's easy to see why like her mother will betray her and cut her legs out from under her and belittle her at every turn it is true that the only time you really see her motivated to do anything especially with the kind of life she leaves is when there is someone she is in direct opposition to i think i think the issue is it's probably too late for her to be a mother at this point that's true but i mean she just like god helena is just so unbelievably cold just so cold i mean she and simon note that this is going to be the first family portrait they're taking without robert but i don't see that having a lot of resonance for her at this point i mean i wish that we could see a little bit more of that side before we really depart from it but I guess that's not what this episode is about. Helena is only vaguely more sympathetic than than Cyrus. Only like a, a hair more. So it's, she's basically, it, Cyrus is so ridiculously over the top as the villain and she is just only slightly less. So you Very can't expect slightly. too much. So Eleanor is, it's a temporary setback for her, the location situation. Eventually she figures out that she's going to use the palace now that her mother has abandoned the palace. But in the meantime... Uh, she decides she's going to cheer up Liam because he's all bummed out because of, um, you know, Ophelia breaking up with him. Right. So they're smoking weed together. Interesting tidbit here. Eleanor mentions that her uh, Liam is her older brother by four minutes. So in the first yeah. episode, we surmised that they were twins and we were right. So there we go. We we figured it out. We outsmarted the royals. I can't believe we actually n- knew something about the show concretely. That's so rare for us. Most of the time we're like, right. oh, we could look it up or uh, we could just play pretend forever <laughs> this this podcast is antithetical to the concept of research so they decide to go out i actually like to see i, I kind of like the scenes where they're just being brother and sister i think they work moderately well together actually i said that in the first episode that the only time i really believed the morning was when it was the two of them together because i think those actors have really good like brother sister chemistry it seems like they have fun with each other when they're in the scenes and it really comes through like you definitely believe that they're always on each other's sides and the scenes are actually rarer than you'd think i feel like where it's just the two of them i don't know commiserating about the life that they had thrust upon them yeah you almost think there would be more but i wonder if when you hit that age even as a real royal if you just have a lot of like 
state and philanthropic occasions to attend like just based on what i see of like kate middleton you have a pretty busy social calendar sure so it might just be that they're always being pulled apart by separate connections i mean separate commitments i mean that could make sense i mean i just mean in the context of the show i guess they could get together as often as they want because obviously somebody's just making it all up but oh yeah obviously i'm explaining this all away in a way that the royals writers probably never took the time to be like why don't we do more scenes of them together but what are you gonna do they both have their own romantic subplots that definitely get a lot of the show's attention anyways they decide to go out to a club largely to cheer liam up i guess maybe to celebrate eleanor's victory they you know get drunk and do a light amount of club drugs as is their custom i wasn't paying attention to exactly what they were consuming and how do they meet up with Gemma? does she come to the club they meet her at the club so they're having drinks and uh Eleanor's like, here's a shot to forget Ophelia. And then she's like, and here's a shot for the whore you're going to wake up with tomorrow. Now I remember. And then Gemma's there. And she's like, like, I heard that. And I'm fine with it. You rang? (laughs) There's not too much to say about Gemma's bit until it happens. The thing that I used to sell so many friends on starting watching the show. There's so many questions about this (laughs) scene. So, Um, first of all, Gemma's driving the car, even though she's obviously imbibed. And it's like, why isn't Marcus driving? Because he's clearly sober. In the backseat, sober. But elected not to drive the car, he vaguely protests. But I think part of his job purview would be like, hey, maybe don't let the (laughs) prince get in a car being driven by a drunk person. That yeah. seems like something as secu- that like would relate to security. Gemma is behind the wheel, and then in a move that I can honestly say I have never seen on any other form of pop culture, she unbuckles uh-huh. and leans over and undoes Liam's belt and starts trying, with varying degrees of success, to give him roadhead, to give him a blowjob. Here's the thing. Roadhead usually happens, or so I've come to understand. In ideal circumstances. The person giving it is sitting in the passenger seat, and the person receiving it is in the driver's seat. Still a dangerous idea. What she does is so beyond the beyond. To be driving the car. (laughs) I mean, theoretically, if you are going to try and attempt that, at least try and move his genitals up to a place where you can see the road still oh, you I made guess. it so much worse by saying genitals uh-huh well <laughs> and meanwhile um marcus and in front like, of marcus by the way marcus is just watching like this no she's gonna do it marcus tries to take the wheel from it, the back like, bench seat but what he says is he said something along the lines of this isn't a good idea and i'm like just, everyone should be screaming like keep your hands on the fucking wheel like everyone should be freaking out but they're just like Gemma, don't like it's it's crazy and then that lasts for all of 30 seconds before they go crashing into an old style red british telephone telephone booth. box telephone yeah. box and our lovely producer, Darren, who is British, wanted you all to know, he made sure that we would tell you that those telephone boxes are, um, you know, they're all super old. So they're made out of a really, really heavy duty cast iron. So in the show, they kind of go crashing through the telephone box. 
Darren has informed apart, us yeah. that that would be impossible. Basically, it would just totally decimate the car because those boxes are so hardcore. So um, I, for one, am shocked that the Royals did something that wasn't realistic. Uh, yeah. uh, they really should have done somehow... their research. I'm, I'm very much let down by the integrity <sighs> of by the integrity of E's first scripted drama in this particular case. Somehow we'll just have to pick up the shattered pieces of our lives and continue. Much like the shattered pieces of that fake, that faux telephone box. Beautiful segue. Yes. Suddenly the emphasis becomes, Liam's got to get out of here. He can't handle the, the scandal. The scandal of this roadhead-related <laughs> accident. And... Uh, Marx is trying to talk him into leaving, and he's like, no, I've I got to stay with Gemma. And then Jasper comes up and just clocks him yeah. and puts him down. Well, even Gemma is like, you need to leave because she it's is, clear yeah. that it's going to be like a very, very bad situation. But Liam's like, wants to be noble. I think his protesting sounded a little bit half-hearted to me. But either way, Jasper's the sort of guy who acts first and asks questions later. So yeah, he, I think Liam would have gone. If you waited another, like, ten seconds, he would have been like, fine. But they don't even have those ten seconds. They haul his ass out of there. There's no one around. They're in the middle of nowhere. It's like a field. But Cyrus sees somehow... They're called bullshit, by the way, on this... So Cyrus somehow sees it and has another sort of speech to Liam like he's been doing the entire run of the show about how young and foolish he is and how he doesn't know how to be a royal. He claims there's security cameras, which I call bullshit on because it's like the middle of a field or something. The only thing um, I can think of is that they're in a public park, so there's like cameras there for safety reasons. Cyrus is, I mean, he's already not Liam's biggest fan, but he's particularly poutish this episode because... Simon floats the idea to him, well, instead of you going on your tour for the common people like you do every year, I think this year I'm going to send Liam. And Cyrus is like, but this is my only chance to curry favor with the people. He actually says that, which is so funny just because it's such an old-fashioned term. And Simon's like, well, you're not the next king of England, and Liam is, which is... I think Cyrus... So, a couple things to close out that little particular plot line. One... Um, Cyrus is really hitting the super hammy villains checklist in this episode because he literally says something to Liam in the nat- in the something similar to "We're not so different, you and I." Yes, yes. I mean, you may so, have rearranged the words a little bit, but that's almost one hundred percent what he says. It's basically what he's. It's like it's a complete "We're not so different" moment because yeah. Cyrus is that guy through and through who says shit like that unironically to people. And second, to his credit, for the first time and last time in his life, he is not using this scandalous security footage for blackmail. So, little victories. That is true, and it's really surprising, especially considering how pissed off he is at um, Liam right now. I mean, he could have used it for, I mean, knowing this show, it would have been sexual blackmail. It would have given the fanfic writers something to work on. Everyone talks so much shit about Gemma, but at least she, like, met Liam, you know, through being a friend of the family, probably, or at camp, something like that, rich kid camp, and they were, like, each other's first loves. Pretty much everyone else has a horrible first meeting story, including Simon and Helena. So the night, I think it's night, of the fashion shows arrives. Mm -hmm. Eleanor has hers at the palace, and her aesthetic is basically, like, 
black, ill-fitting trash bags that show a lot of side boob. Sure. And then Helena is having hers in the tunnel. And her collection is very, very bridal. Which, on the one hand, it's like, oh, Helena, nothing about you is bridal. You're an older woman. But maybe that's the point. And number two, that may be foreshadowing for the future. So It could be. Um that's, again, probably me reading too much into so. details. I really think you uh, are. <laughs> um, I have to, because otherwise we're not going to have a show. Well, I think that uh, Elizabeth Hurley's is a little bit more stately, logically speaking, than Eleanor's is, of course. Presenting yeah. a better face. Um, yeah. Eleanor, Obviously. I, you, I think you didn't mention that Eleanor's also has a blacklight aspect. So when I haven't they brought that up yet. Get to the end of the runway. They have like Dia de los Muertes face paint on them that mm-hmm. just lights like up. Scary very... skull faces. Yeah, exactly. Which... Except for Eleanor, who has "I win" written across her sternum. In after after paint. she pushes a fake queen off the runway. <laughs> yes, that was a really nice touch. I actually kind of loved Eleanor extra for that little bit. Yeah. Helena goes through this whole affair just acting so, so wounded that Eleanor would dare do this. And it's just so hard to take her seriously at all when she purposely plays the antagonist and is very, um, like, gets Eleanor riled up at every turn. And then she acts all, like, confused and hurt when it happens. And she's telling Eleanor, like, you've hurt me so badly by doing this. I'm like... Especially when she very openly says to Simon that she's acting as an adversary and not a mother. Yes, exactly. She's like, oh, I'm purposely going to rile her up into being my enemy. And then when it happens, she's like, totally balls Eleanor out. So I was just like rolling my eyes at her the whole time. I will say, I think Eleanor's collection is supposed to be more like avant-garde, high fashion, whereas the Queen's is like pretty basic, pretty classic, nothing off the beaten path. It just so happened that normally the costumes for this show are impeccable. When they were throwing together that ensemble of models, uh, they only had one so day good. to put it together, Shannon. <laughs> they only had one day. Considering it's pretty good. Yeah, I guess that is, all things considered, for a collection that was created in one day, it's beautiful. Yes. Obviously, the real point of this whole thing has less to do with the fashion. That's just me being a nitpick because I love talking about costumes. One quick note about the clothes before we move on to another social element of this. But Eleanor calls Bagsy on purple earlier in the episode, and Jasper's like, oh, well, you look sexier in black. And she's like, I don't care what you think. But then Mm -hmm. she does notably wear black at her fashion show. So... Make of that what she will. So Eleanor's chilling in her bedroom afterwards, kind of savoring her great triumph. She's cutting out newspaper articles. They're giving her rave (laughs) reviews, I believe. Oh, this part makes me so, so sad. I think it's, I mean, Eleanor's scrapbooking. There's just something really inherently adorable about that. Yeah, it's really Um, a character for her, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, she deserves to be proud. So her mother, her mother, comes in and tells her that all the reviews are made up. They were either planted or commissioned by Helena herself because when the monarchy, when one member of the monarchy looks good, then they all look good. And she didn't want um, Eleanor to fall flat on her face, even after she's been trying to sabotage her this the whole entire time. time. So yeah. 
I think we're supposed to think it's a lie. I and, think so too. But that's just a perfect example of why this show can never get us on Helena's side, even when it wants to. Like, she just can be so just like almost girlishly petty and nasty. No, yeah. She's like a full fledged villain I mentioned earlier in the show. <laughs> yeah. But, like, there's still. Yeah. You have set this character up in a certain way, and at this point, like, you have lost the ability to gain sympathy for her. <laughs> I don't know. I would say that Cyrus has more humanizing moments than Helena. That could be, I suppose. I think it could also be down to the fact that the actor who plays Cyrus is is better. That's at true. Getting those across. So after Helena leaves her poor destroyer, who again, bear in mind, has just lost her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, Jasper comes in and basically is like, "She's lying. Come on, like." You did this. You did a good job. I think he says, I'm lying about something, but she is lying about everything. Ugh. Jasper just wants another chance to, like, play Mad Libs with his backstory. Yeah. And make much. up another, like, cute anecdote about himself. Yeah. Ophelia talks to Liam, and she hears about the car accident, and she hears that they just left Gemma there, and it's a mark of both the fact that Ophelia is probably one of the most empathetic and like sweet characters on the show and also that there is sort of a burgeoning like respect between her and Gemma that Ophelia is like it's really shitty that you just left her behind like I know it's protocol but that's brutal I don't think he does mention the fact that he was literally beaten unconscious prior to be leaving her behind which might have softened the blow but, he um, doesn't want to seem like a pussy. That's true. Okay. Fair. That's I mean, the only reason I can it's think. It's Jasper, who's clearly a superhuman, who did the punching. So I noticed in this episode that Gemma gave her the nickname Oaf, which I kind of like. That's funny because it's like O-A-F. Yeah. Uh, I think Eleanor calls her Fee sometimes, and it's like, okay, I like that the show is trying to have like their girl power friendship. Like That sits well with me. Then the episode ends with kind of a montage of everyone coming out of their various disappointments. And the last, like, five or ten minutes of the episodes have these little cuts of the characters meeting in the throne room to, like, sit down for their portrait while they're having conversations. It's it's an unusual stylistic choice for this show, which is usually pretty straightforward. It's their first portrait without Robert, which is the major significance, and I think why they chose to end on that. It's a hilarious portrait, too, because... Obviously, you have Simon in full military dress, and then you have Cyrus, Helena, and Liam all wearing, you know, pretty standard formal wear. Eleanor is wearing an iridescent purple dress (laughs) with a feather tutu uh, that is backless and made of plastic. And, of course, Penelope and Mirabelle are there in, like, acid yellow outfits. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, yeah, this is definitely what a portrait of the royal family is allowed to look like. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. It works. I think the show has a really good, like, soundtrack. Like, even though the sound cues they choose are really, really on the nose, sure. the songs themselves are good. So this episode ends with this song that's, like, speaking of truth because it's all been lies and our secrets keeping us, all the stuff mm-hmm. we've talked about previously. So, again, pretty on the nose, but also another instance of the show ending with a really catchy tune. It does seem lies were the theme of the week. I don't know if there was some vague attempt to tie that into fashion. Um, maybe the intent was. Well, upcoming but... um, in season two, and this isn't a spoiler, there's an episode called Welcome Our Fashion and Ceremony. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's going to be episode three of season two. So I'm wondering if Fashion Week is going to be a recurring thing because oh, maybe. Welcome Our Fashion and Ceremony, which is a quote from the Player King, I think, um, definitely sounds like fashion related. Yeah, maybe because going, it has the word fashion in it. <laughs> maybe they're going for like a doll's house angle where the exterior and the interior do not entirely match. I don't know. Now who's reading too much into things? Definitely me. <laughs> I think it's actually going to be a little bit less clear cut this week than it was last week. What was your favorite moment of the episode? Either the scene where Liam and Eleanor are getting high and just being brother and sister in Eleanor's room. I like that moment. But you also have to give it up a little bit for the roadhead incident. I think I'm down between two as well. One of them being the roadhead. Mostly just like Gemma getting into it. Like she just does it all of a sudden and she's so casual about it. And then Marcus in the back says... Like, I don't think that's a prudent idea, which is not how you respond in that situation. But the other one is that thing that you brought up earlier in the episode. Um, You're not so different, you and I. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, great, too. Yeah. Another one of Cyrus's parlor speeches. And, ooh, I know I shouldn't do three, but a quick honorable mention. I pretty much just stay in my loft avoiding social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. Which is a fantastic line. Yeah, we'll talk about the guy once or twice more fleetingly and he'll be gone forever we'll forget he was ever on the show all right well i think that pretty much wraps up this episode of stage of fools Alrighty. i'm shannon camp i am zach powers thanks so much for listening thanks. bye, bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.